Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. I have been so excited for you guys to hear this episode. I have been sitting on it for a while, but now with this new two podcasts a week situation, I can release it much sooner than I was planning on, which is amazing. And this episode is one of my favorites ever because I recorded it with one of my best friends, Meg Dahl, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with if you follow me because... I post about her all the time, and actually, this is perfect timing because the week this gets released, I will also be going to Canada at the end of the week to go visit Meg, which is where she lives. I have never actually met her in real life because she lives in Canada, and I live in Los Angeles, but that has not stopped us from becoming very, very close. But I'm going to go visit her to celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving, which I'm super excited about. I have never celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving, obviously. And I love how they have Thanksgiving really early at the beginning of October. It makes so much more sense to me than what we do in America, how we have Halloween end of October and then Thanksgiving kind of end of November and then Christmas comes and it's all smushed in and the holiday season just feels really jam-packed and overwhelming and I really like how Canadians have their Thanksgiving so early on and then they have basically two whole months of getting ready for Christmas which is my favorite thing in the world. So I'm really, really excited to be celebrating with her and her family and pretending like I'm Canadian for a week. It will be so much fun and Meg makes the most delicious food. So I'm extra excited to cook with her and eat with her because we have the same taste buds. It's really amazing. But before I get into all of that, I want to tell you guys about another reason why I'm really excited about this week's episode because I am partnering with one of my favorite brands ever, Primally Pure. And this is basically my dream partnership. They are one of my favorite brands in the world. If you follow me, I'm sure you've heard me talking about them. I've used their products for a few years and kind of gotten to know the company over the years. And I really love all of the integrity behind the brand and what they stand for. And we have so many similar values, plus they have incredible products. So this is really a company that I am really passionate about supporting. And if you are not familiar with Primally Pure yet, they are an incredible company that sells a range of personal care products from skincare to hair care to body care 
and all of their ingredients are derived from nature. They strive for maximum purity and potency. All of their products are made with certified organic ingredients. Everything is sourced with the utmost attention and care, and they get their ingredients from family-owned farms whenever they can. And they believe that beauty isn't just about the products you use. It's also about caring for yourself. So there's this really big emphasis on self-care, which I love as well. It's a really incredible company. And I first fell in love with this brand when I found their deodorant. So I think anybody who is looking into non-toxic, safe, personal care products, skincare, hair care, body care, we all run into the issue of trying to find a good deodorant. And I have a lot to say on the topic of deodorant, but primarily pure deodorant, those are, they, they have a whole range of them, and I believe that's also their best-selling product because it works so well, but they have a whole range of deodorants, and these were the first deodorants that did not give my armpits any issues and that actually worked. It's really hard to find non-toxic deodorants that actually get the job done, that smell nice, that don't leave coconut oil stains on your shirt. Um, because this used to always happen to me. I've ruined so many shirts trying out deodorant after deodorant. And trust me, I try every single non-toxic deodorant I can get my hands on. And these are the ones I always come back to because they work. And I also like that they have a whole range of products because something that I've actually discovered, quick tip, if you're struggling with natural deodorant, I don't know why this is this is a thing. Maybe, maybe they know, but I've always discovered that if I use the same exact deodorant for too long, it's like it stops working. So I have to switch up my deodorant and that's why it's really helpful. They have a whole line of deodorant options. Actually, three of their deodorants I use and I will rotate between them. So nothing ever stops working. (laughs) Um, it's, it's really cool how that happens, but they have sort of different levels of protection. So they have a wide range of deodorants that are just for, you know, the everyday person. They have geranium, lavender, lemongrass, tea tree, and unscented deodorant. If you have sensitive armpits, though, like me, some people find that they're using a natural deodorant and they get like a rash underneath their armpits or it can hurt or burn. This is usually a reaction to the baking soda that's used in non-toxic deodorants. So... For those people who have more sensitive armpits, then I recommend trying out their blue tansy or charcoal deodorants. I'm one of those people who gets rashes on my armpits with non-toxic deodorants that have baking soda in them. And the blue tansy and charcoal deodorant from Primally Pure have a much lower level of baking soda They do have a little bit in there, but it's so much less that it doesn't cause me to react at all. And I found this with other people I've referred it to as well. So it's amazing. There's two options for people with sensitive armpits right there. So the charcoal one also is like a nice black and guys like that one. So you can get your, you know, the man in your life to be using some safer deodorant this is really important for everybody not just women but also especially women for a number of reasons but you really don't want the aluminum or any other toxic harmful chemicals 
entering your body, especially in your armpit area. This is near your lymph nodes and the use of these conventional toxic deodorants has been linked with increased rates of breast cancer. So we just really, really want to be wary of what is going onto our skin right there. So that's why I love the Primaline Pure deodorants. They actually work and they have multiple sensitive options for people with sensitive armpits. And then they have a whole range of scents so everybody can find one and I will switch off between the charcoal I fell in love with that one when they came out with it and then they most recently released their blue tansy deodorant which I actually think I like more than the charcoal one the blue tansy is definitely my my top choice I love blue tansy in general it's an amazing essential oil that I also like to put on my skin it's really anti-inflammatory so it's really soothing to your skin in general especially your armpits um, and I actually also use their geranium regular deodorant so I find that that deodorant I'm fine with if I'm using it for like a few weeks like I said I like to rotate through the three so that they never stop working so that's a good tip for you and even though most most deodorants will make me break out if they have baking soda under my armpits that one does not so that works really well for me but they have really really great products and I just wanted to highlight the do because I know it's really hard for people to find a good one and I seriously love these so if you want to get your hands on any primarily pure products you can use the discount code wellness 10 w-e-l-l-n-e-s-s 10 for 10% off of anything in their line. They have a whole range of products, not just deodorant, also skincare, body care, bath soaks, facial oils. They have a great dry shampoo, natural bug spray. It's amazing. So definitely check them out. You can go to bit.ly slash primalypurecrw. Use that discount code wellness 10 and get your hands on some primarily pure products i'm so excited and let me know how the deodorants go if you try them out because they're my favorite and speaking of the blue tansy i got so excited when i saw that release i think it's absolutely genius to put the blue tansy into a deodorant and like i said i've been putting on that just that essential oil the blue tansy essential oil on my skin for some time because i got that tip from meg herself meg doll is the queen of essential oils and she's the one who got me into essential oils she is my essential oils guru anything i know about essential oils meg taught me and she also is the founder of a whole essential oils community called nourish and free so basically it's like if you sign up and learn about essential oils through me then you are put into our community nourished and free which is created by meg and she leads that all up and she has all these videos and learning resources for you she is just the essential oils queen and i have learned it all from her so she's amazing but i mean besides that she's best known for her work as a holistic nutritionist she specializes in eating disorder recovery mental health and self-love she has a few really amazing programs out a new program called friends with food and she has the unbreakable babe program and she is also the host of a really amazing podcast the unbreakable you podcast which i had the honor of being a guest on so she does so many things and meg is like we always joke that she's my twin that we're twins because we are just so 
incredibly alike. Like we have very similar thoughts on honestly all things. Everything from gut health issues, food we like, essential oils, spirituality, so many different things. And we really just hit the surface in this episode. So she's definitely going to come back on the podcast. I'm hoping to record again with her while I am in Canada. But, you know, this episode, I ask her tough questions. Like I really am asking her tough questions and like pressing and I can do that with her because I know how open and honest she is about things and because she is one of my best friends. So I feel comfortable doing that. Um, And I really, really appreciate her opening up and like allowing me to do that and really sharing so much. We talk about a lot of things related to her history, struggling with anorexia. She struggled with anorexia two different times in her life and so we talk about that in recovery so just I always like to kind of preface that beforehand in case you are going through an eating disorder and don't like to hear about them um although I think this could be really helpful um for anyone who has struggled with disordered eating in general whether or not you have had an eating disorder and we also just talk about the journey of self-love and what that's like she shares a lot about her past relationship and how much that changed her a lot of you know really shocking information and she gives some great advice for anybody who has ever had issues with self-love or poor body image so I'm so appreciative that Meg came on the podcast and shared so much with us I love her dearly she's incredible I could talk about how much I love her for hours but instead I will just cut in to our little chat i'm just so happy that we're finally doing this it's so funny because everyone's like why haven't you had meg on your podcast i'm like i have no idea like it's so weird because we're such close friends but it took us like a year to be on each other's podcast i swear actually people are saying that i feel so like special but yeah no I know I think that kind of happens when you're friends right because we're always chatting and then you might not realize that I actually haven't been on your podcast or whatever but anyways I'm here exactly and it's always funny because when we're talking I'm like I don't know what to talk to you about because I already I feel like I know everything but I don't know everything we're gonna we're gonna figure out more okay maybe I mean, I don't know how someone could follow me and not also know you, but in case they don't, can you tell people a little bit about you, what you do, what's your deal, what are you into? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Meg Dahl, and I am a registered holistic nutritionist. I live in Canada, and as Christina mentioned, she is coming to visit me, so I'm super excited about that. Um, yeah, I live in Canada, but my business is online. So I am lucky enough to work with women all around the world. I have history with eating disorders, specifically anorexia, and anxiety, depression, just, you know, I'm super passionate about um, mental health and supporting women in overcoming mental illness. So that's something that I specialize in. And with that, comes the gut as well because we need healthy guts 
in order to have a healthy mind. So I help a lot of women with gut issues as well. So those are some things that I work on with my one-on-one clients. However, I'm super passionate about teaching people to just become more in tune with themselves and reconnect with that inner wisdom that all of us have. So that's something that I'm really working on lately. So I do support women in connecting with themselves, you know, internally in order to heal their relationship with food, but also Over the past two years, I've been using essential oils. And something that is like really fascinating to me is that over those two years, although I had like gone through this huge intuitive eating journey and thought like, oh, I'm super intuitive and, you know, I exercise intuitively and eat intuitively. Since I started using essential oils, this like sense of intuition within me has strengthened so much. So something that I am working on is showing women how using nature as their form of health care can actually help them increase their intuition as well. And just like, um, you just become more intuitive with how to take care of yourself and what your body is actually needing. And I know everyone knows you love essential oils as well. So I know you can relate to all of that. But yeah, like, essentially, that is what I do and some of my biggest passions. Yeah. And I mean, for anyone listening, Meg is the one who like got me into essential oils and teaches me everything I know. She is the essential oils guru. So she is the the woman to go to when you need to learn more about essential oils. But I want to backtrack a bit and talk about like how you got into all of this and why you're so passionate because you have a pretty powerful health story yourself. Um, and I kind of want to go all the way back to when it all started. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Baby so Meg. That is, yeah. No, seriously. I do believe that everything really happens, you know, way before even our stories actually happen. You know, when I kind of share my health story, I always go back to when I was 10 years old. And the reason for that is because when I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with anorexia. However, I seriously believe that everything goes way, way back to literally like baby Meg, right? So, I mean, even still, that stuff that I am always on a journey of like exploring and learning more and kind of, you know, um, just shedding some light on by doing like inner healing work. And I know, Christina, you and I are both loving, you know, a bunch of inner healing work these days. So anyways, I will start at 10 year old Meg, though, because that is when I was diagnosed with anorexia. And that's really when um, all of this kind of began. And really, although it wasn't until I was in like grade 12, when I decided that I wanted to start studying food and nutrition, It was definitely when I was diagnosed with anorexia at the age of 10, and I went through that huge battle 
um, you know, throughout my recovery, my parents constantly told me, you are going through this for a reason. You are going to help people someday. And as a 10-year-old girl, you know, and having your parents constantly say that to you, it was pretty empowering to know that, hey, like, yeah, I am going to help people someday. Can we talk about that diagnosis? Because 10 is pretty young. Um, And that might shock some people, like, who are listening. And, like, I mean, where did... What do you think this, like, stemmed from? Like, how did you start – how did you fall into anorexia? Yeah, well, to be honest, and I haven't, you know, talked about this a lot because not too many people, like, prod at, like, okay, where did it actually um, all stem from? Because there's a difference between being, like, you know, just saying you're diagnosed at 10 years old and then actually getting to the root of it. So, yeah, this is something that I do really like shedding light on, and I think you'll find it pretty interesting, seeing as how you're so um, interested in, like, gut health as well. So um, before I was diagnosed with anorexia, I will never forget this one day I was at a dance recital. So I grew up being a dancer, and... I was at my dance recital. It was the summer, you know, the the end of year dance recital. And it was lunchtime and my mom went to one of the sandwich shops and brought me back a sandwich. And I ate that sandwich like I normally do. You know, I always ate sandwiches for lunch. And I just had this excruciating stomach ache, like absolutely horrible. And it was something that I hadn't ever experienced before. And I think if we all kind of go back to our 10 year old selves, if we experienced like a lot of pain that we've never experienced before, it was like pretty scary. And, you know, I told my mom that I didn't feel good. And then these stomach aches just kind of became persistent like they were more frequent and yeah they just happened more and more and I not really intentionally but I just started eating less and less and I truly believe that you know our brains and minds need nutrients in order to actually have healthy thoughts like if anyone listening right now is constantly thinking about food and obsessing about food, I can like, you know, pretty much confidently tell you that you're probably not eating enough food because your mind is going to start having all of these twisted thoughts about food and your body when you're not nourishing it properly. So um, as a 10-year-old girl, I started eating less and less. And all of a sudden, I, you know, my brain, my mind, and my entire body started becoming malnourished. And I started having these very disordered thoughts. I quickly developed a very, very um, intense fear of becoming fat at a ten, like at 10 years old. I was so um, 
so scared. But before even that happened, when all of the stomach aches were happening, my parents did take me to see a doctor. But when I was 10 years old, this would have been 2001. So definitely not when people were talking about like gluten sensitivities or celiac disease, things like that. And I should let everyone know that, you know, I have never been tested for celiac. However, that, you know, at that age, um, or at that time, 2001, like that wasn't something that was being done. And so when I will, I still remember the day I was at that doctor's appointment and the doctor, like I was having really bad stomach aches and the doctor simply looked at my mom and said, like shrugged and said, she has a viral infection, just let it ride its course. And as we let it ride its course, I developed a very, very intense eating disorder that um, took me an entire year to overcome with, you know, a team of health professionals and obviously my parents' support. But yeah, that um, really robbed me of like my grade five year. And then I went back to school in grade six. Um, completely recovered and, um, yeah, free of that eating disorder. Was that, what was that like going back to school? Like, did people say things to you or what was that experience? Yeah, yeah. I, I totally remember that too. And it was a pretty cool experience. It wasn't maybe an experience that, um, too many people would like assume it would be. I remember, um, going back Um, or actually even before school started, I remember, you know, back to school clothes shopping and getting like all these really nice clothes that fit me really well because an entire year as I was battling anorexia, I would wear like my dad's oversized t-shirts to school and I'd be bullied because I was wearing like these huge man t-shirts, right? But I was too scared to wear anything else because I I had well with anorexia comes like major like body dysmorphia right so um yeah it was just I remember clothes shopping and just being so proud of myself for being able to buy like all of these beautiful like young girl clothes that I looked really good in and so when I did go back to school in grade six there I remember this one girl her and I actually still chat and she was like Meg is that you like no one recognized me but I knew that I was so much healthier and my mind was so much healthier so if I ever did get comments from people they were definitely positive compliments you know like Meg, like you look amazing. And because my mind was so properly nourished, I actually knew that like I looked really good, you know? Mm -hmm. What's so interesting to me is like you had, okay, you had this experience of putting on weight and like it, it was like positive for you. Like you felt better about yourself putting on weight and like how different that experience is for so many women who, when they have to do the same thing, but at a much older age, like this is a huge issue that I know both of us deal with with clients. And we both experience like putting on weight is mentally hard because you Mm -hmm. feel like, I I mean, that's hard, you know, to put on weight because we've associated weight gain with being something bad. And I just think it's so fascinating how when you went through that, 
at a younger age, like to you, that experience, you were like proud of yourself. And like, what mm-hmm. if we, what if we carry that mindset to when we're adults? Right. And I a hundred percent agree with you. I think it all has to do with the age I was at. Like I overcame something really, really hard when I was like, what, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And I knew it and I like owned it, you know, and I was so proud of myself to go back to school and like show people that I wasn't sick anymore kind of thing. Yeah. Well, okay. During this time though, were you still having stomach aches? Not that honestly, not that I can remember, which is, I can't really explain that. You know, I, I mean, as I was going through recovery that, um, throughout that eating disorder, I remember having stomach aches. I definitely do, but I was always told that these stomach aches were because I was like stretching my stomach back to a normal size. So (laughs) after like starving myself for so long, right. Honest to goodness. That's what I was told. Um, but yeah, I, I seriously, Christina, I grew up with, um, chronic constipation and stomach aches. I'm thinking at that time, they just kind of became something that I was probably used to and was almost told to stop complaining about because it was just like part of like the refeeding almost right yeah well and I can totally relate to that too it was like I wasn't until I was 20 years old that I realized I had lived my whole life with a constant stomach ache and constant pain because it just becomes your normal you know Mm -hmm. so that's why it's almost like you know looking back it's hard to think okay was I was I having I don't remember it because I just kind of that was how I was used to it um but God, I mean, so were were you in a facility or was it outpatient or how was recovery? I was hospitalized okay. for a couple nights, maybe one night. I truthfully can't even remember, but I guess that part of my story will show everyone how like stubborn slash determined slash my own person I am. So if I don't want to do something the way someone tells me to do it, like I am going to prove you that I can do it on my own. And that showed up in both battles of my eating disorder. So I know we haven't talked about, you know, my second battle with anorexia, but it showed up when I was 10 years old. I was in the hospital But then um, things weren't going well in there. I think I was just so young and I was literally terrified of being in the hospital. And my parents, you know, they were very capable of supporting me through this time. And I think they both knew that they would be able to offer me more support and have me in like a better mindset if I was at home. And that's exactly what happened. So again, we just have to remember how young I was at this time and how much like control my parents had over the food I ate. So when I was 10, you know, my parents cooked all of my food, obviously. And it basically came down to like, here, Meg, this is your lunch. You're going to eat all this lunch. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to sit there and eat it. And the same thing would happen for dinner and then breakfast the next day. So With that, like I said, as I just like learned to nourish my body again, my mind became much stronger, much healthier. My thoughts 
like my disordered thoughts lifted and I was free of an eating disorder. Also, throughout that time, I did see a social worker and she gave me a lot of tools that helped me disassociate myself from my thoughts and really give me the tools that I use within my practice today. You know, I have um, an entire course that I, like it's a six-week course that I help people learn how to heal with love. And I use like my four building blocks of self-love and the first one is self-talk. And within that self-talk week, we're learning all about these tools that I learned as a 10 year old girl. And they're like incredible tools that, you know, 30, 40 year old women are just learning today and completely changing their lives with. Mm -hmm. Well, because it's like, there were different components of that eating disorder, whereas like, you know, the stomach aches made you afraid of this food. But then also, you mentioned you had this intense fear of becoming fat. And, like, where do you think that fear, like, came from? Yeah, um, I really do think, again, um, very much a malnourished mind. Okay. But, obviously, there, it comes back to, like, we got to dig, dig, mm-hmm. dig. So, I was being teased at school, like, bullied. Um, and then, I honestly think the media, you know, at that um, time in my life, I wasn't buying, like, fitness magazines but I would buy like do you remember those hairstyle magazines like when you wanted to get like a haircut you would go buy a magazine and stuff and I remember like looking at the women in those magazines and I mean I was 10 years old and they were probably like 30 but I would just like admire like them and like the way their body was structured and you know, it gets into a little girl's mind that Mm -hmm. she should start looking that way. And honestly, that's kind of what I love about like, you know, what we do today, but also kind of our the community that you and I are part of like part of that body positive type movement, right? Like back in 2001, people weren't talking about all of the realities of Photoshop and whatnot. Like, Mm -hmm. we didn't know that. Yeah, it's so true. And it's like, it's such a simple answer, but I just think that people aren't, people are just like, well, that's just the way the media is. And I'm like, we need to keep talking about it because Mm -hmm. it, and especially now it's so much worse with Instagram, which is like a new form of media like it's a whole nother beast but it's like if magazines can have that kind of impact on us what about all these images we're seeing now without having to go to the store and pick them up that we're just seeing all day every day um so I think it's it's an important conversation to be had but I want to move forward to like so you recovered um and then you had another like battle with anorexia. So what happened with that? How did you fall back into it? Yeah, so I relapsed um, five years later. So it was, you know, within the year of my grade 10 year in high school, I was definitely um, experiencing incredibly horrible body image. You know, I 
just felt absolutely disgusting about myself. But then all at the same time, my grandfather, who I was very close to, was, you know, two days away from losing his life. And then he bounced back. And it was just like this really difficult time in my life. And, you know, it was my mom's dad. So my mom would be at home and then she'd leave and go away. And he lived 10 hours away from us. So she was constantly home and then not home. And, you know, really a lot of eating disorders all boil down to, you know, they are a lot of them are triggered when the individual feel as feels as though she is losing control in some way. So she tries to gain control in other areas of her life. And I do see that coming up in my life as well. Um, Also, I see that just like viewing how my eating disorders have all come up, they've all been triggered by a death. So when I was 10 years old, I also experienced a death in my family. And then again, at 15 years old, And it all really um, was my way of coping. Obviously, I know it wasn't a good, healthy way of coping with this death. But when those deaths occurred in my life, I believed that I was not deserving of nourishing my body. Mm. That's truthfully what it comes down to. I did not feel deserving And that is how my um, relapse happened. And since I was 15 years old, you know, it was a much more intense eating disorder. I was in denial for a very long time. My parents knew exactly what was happening all over again. But I think we all have to come to our own terms with it and kind of hit that rock bottom and then ask for help ourselves, right? So you, at what point did you ask for help? Yeah, so I basically went through an entire year again of lies and um, just being in a really dark place all by myself, right? No one knew my secret, but I didn't really even know my secret. I would always tell myself that, I was okay. And I would have like these little um, thoughts to go purge. And I would tell myself that if I purged, then I had a problem. But what I was doing right now was no issue. Mm. And so it was kind of like as long as I stayed within these guidelines, I was okay with myself. And then one night, um, my cousin and I were having one of our usual movie nights and we had a big bag of Cadbury mini eggs sitting between the two of us. And they were like our favorite snack. We would always like polish off a bag easy between the two of us. And we were watching that movie and I couldn't help but notice my cousin just like thoroughly enjoying all of the snacks that we bought for ourselves. And I didn't have one. I wanted them, but I literally couldn't have one. And it felt as though, you know, there was like this imaginary wall between me and like the Cadbury mini eggs. Like I so badly wanted to reach my hand into that bag and pull some out, but I like physically could not do that. And that was the night that I woke up 
you know, I wrote a letter (laughs) before I went to bed. I wrote it all down, like all of the things that I was not okay with in my life, all of the truths, all of the like things that I was dealing with and hiding from everyone. And, you know, my parents and I are super close. I'm an only child and I just sat them down and rattled off this list. And it was one heck of an emotional night, obviously, but I told them what they had known all along, obviously. But um, yeah, that was the night that everything changed for me. That's really powerful. Like, what's interesting is, did you ever like, did you want your parents to like, do something or push you into treatment or, or no, they tried, they did they tried. Yeah, you know, they, um, so a lot of the times when someone has an eating disorder, you will be coached through like with by your therapist or your psychologist or whoever you're working with, you might refer to that eating disorder as something else because anyone going through an eating disorder tends to think that they are the disorder and they like cling on to that like they have this problem and they are the issue. Mm -hmm. So one really powerful thing for eating disorder treatment is like disassociating yourself, obviously with the thoughts, but also with the disorder. And to know that like these behaviors and these thoughts are not of your own. They're like these from this disorder that is kind of like taking over your life. So a really powerful practice that I did when I was 10 years old was name my disorder, right? So a lot of people will refer to their disorder as Ed, for an example. So come when I was 15 years old, my parents would sit me down in like a really like calm manner as though we were going to have a very serious talk. And they would tell me that they thought Ed was bad. You know, they would tell me that that's what they thought was happening. And of course, that was like my period of denial where I denied, denied, denied. And I truly do believe that when it comes to anything, even like someone who is like needing to stop smoking, for an example, like they need to come to terms with it on their own. No one can force anything on anyone. It's especially like someone like me who is such a hardcore rebel um, tendency. And I, it's just like in my DNA that like no one can tell me what to do. And yeah, so I really had to come to terms with it myself. Having said that, if my parents didn't say anything, that seed wouldn't have been planted in my head. You know, it was so um, therapeutic for me to have my parents sit me down, even though I wasn't ready for it, I needed them to sit me down and tell me that they thought I had an issue again. And like I said, even though I denied it, it planted that seed within me that I really, really needed to hear because every single time I saw like disordered behaviors bubble up, like those thoughts, for an example, the thoughts that wanted me to go purge, that was like a red flag for me that 
okay, maybe I do have a problem. Maybe my parents are onto something. Mm-hmm. How was that that recovery different than when you were 10? Yeah. Well, when you're 15 years old, you know a lot more about food yeah. than your parents do. Like, you're 15. You think you know everything. Um, you don't want to listen to your parents. So, again, my parents took me to a psychiatrist this time because, really, this eating disorder had a very strong hold on, like, my mental health. So I went to a psychiatrist. He immediately wanted to hospitalize me. And at this time, I was eating like next to nothing every single day. I truly do not know how I was um, functioning as a human being. And the psychiatrist wanted to hospitalize me. And at this point in time in my life, I would have been going into grade 12 the next year, my last year of high school. So I refused treatment, like refused inpatient treatment. I said there was no way I was going to be missing my last year of high school. And um, he was not happy, but I told my parents that I would prove it to them that I was serious about recovering. And so that night, the three of us went out and grabbed ice cream sundaes from Dairy Queen. And my mom, I'm pretty sure, has kept that receipt ever since. Like, that was the night that, again, I committed to really, like, changing my life. And it was all that Dairy Queen Sunday from then, you know, like, the next morning, I woke up and I will never forget, like my dad made me this huge breakfast spread. Was I super happy with it? Like, was everything easy breezy after that? Absolutely not. Like he probably, like he cooked me like two or three eggs and I thought he was insane for like cooking me so much food. And I obviously probably threw a fit, but the next day I went to go see a dietitian and she really helped me. Um, again, this all had to do with being 15 years old and not really wanting to listen to your parents. So I told them that I would listen to a dietitian. So I worked really close with a dietitian, um, an amazing psychologist who completely changed my life. He actually has a like world-renowned eating disorder recovery clinic in Brandon, Manitoba. My dad found him online, like he found this facility online, and again, it is an inpatient. So women from all around the world, whether you're like 18 years old or 50 years old, they have lived in this facility. Um, When I was going there, you know, I met a girl from Australia there. And then there's people that are local that live there. So, you know, it was an option for me again to do the inpatient treatment. But every single week, my parents drove me three and a half hours to go to these sessions. So, um, lots of people on my team, but my dad would always remind me that, you know, the more people that I had supporting me, the better. So I just had a huge team of healthcare professionals that like resonated with me, right? Like they were all people that were actually helping me. And, um, I spent my entire grade 12 year, in like solid recovery. By the time I graduated, you know, I was 
definitely a totally different person. Um, however, I was not um, totally independent enough to move away and go to university the next year. So I stayed at home and continued, you know, going to my dietitian and seeing my psychologist. But I also did my first year of university from home. And then by the end of that year, I was like, so over it that I was, I moved 30 hours away from home. And it was one of the best decisions I could have ever made for myself, just like kind of getting out of that city that basically held so much like horrible memories for me. Yeah, I can totally relate. And I'm curious how this affected like your relationships at the time, like your friendships and stuff. Yeah, I basically had none. Mm. Um, All of the girls that were best friends of mine growing up, I really had no little to no contact with them. Um, they just either didn't know how to support me. So they distanced themselves or, you know, I guess that's basically what happened, but yeah, it was just, I felt really alone. Mm -hmm. And, um, I did have a boyfriend though at the beginning of grade 12. So I, you know, I started dating him at like on Halloween in grade 12. So it was like fairly like soon after I had started recovery, really. And but it was good for me. It was really good for me. And I know we always say that, you know, we need to be like, you know, we need to know how to love ourselves before we can love someone else. And we need to kind of work on ourselves before we can be in a relationship. And I mean, granted, I'm not so with this guy, like I was in grade 12. But like, it was really good for me, Christina, like, you know, he challenged me, I swear. And if he like, I mean, he lives in the same city I do now. But you know, I swear, he did like research on eating disorders and he really did um, contribute to a lot of good things in my life, you know, um, challenging me with different foods in such like a positive way that, um, and we dated for like over three years. So, you know, even though we did start dating at kind of like the very beginning of my eating disorder recovery, it, you know, we did continue to date for a while. And it was like a really positive thing for me, for sure. That's like really impressive, because I feel like most high school boys would run the other direction of someone with an eating disorder. <laughs> like, yeah. he sounds like a really cool guy. Yeah, he was he was definitely or he is a definitely a mm-hmm. good person for sure. But I totally agree. With, like, I think it's really important to yeah, be able to like, fully love yourself before you can love someone. But I also think that having someone like having a good relationship can help teach you how to love yourself because you see that someone else loves you mm-hmm. and then you feel like you're worthy. Like I know for me, I felt like when I first had my first serious boyfriend, like that really changed how I saw myself because I was like, mm-hmm. if he can love me this much and like, maybe I can too. 
Totally. And honestly, just like as you're saying that some of the other like positive things like popped up into my head, but like dating someone kind of like got my mind out of myself and away from food, right? Like, I wasn't constantly thinking about food when I was dating him. You know, yeah, I was still working through some, like, weird things with food, of course, because you just don't, like, release all of that overnight. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it definitely got my mind onto other things. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think, because I think a lot of people fall into disordered habits when they have, like, too much time on their hands and, like, they don't really have anything else to focus on. Um, Plus... It's much harder to get away with something like that when you have someone who's, like, with you a lot. Like, you know, like, you guys hang out. You probably want to get dinner or you want to, like, get ice cream or, like, it's hard to avoid. And so it can help to have someone who's, like, kind of holding you accountable without them even realizing it. Totally. And, like, I'm such an open book that obviously I did tell him like what I was going through. I mean, I had appointments all the time. And so he fully knew what I was going through. And yeah, like you said, he was kind of there to hold me accountable. And basically, the only other friend that I did have throughout high school. So my boyfriend like went to a different high school. And actually, when I was dating him, he had already graduated. He was one year older than me. But the other friend that I had was another guy who went to my high school. And he, too, knew what I was going through. So it was kind of nice. You know, he would always make sure, like, that we were going out for lunch. Or, you know, like, he kind of was watching me, too, which was nice. It's so interesting because I don't know if you – I forget if we talked about this on your podcast, but, like – That's something I always found interesting, too. Like, my, I lost almost all of my female friends, but my male friends were the ones who, like, stuck with me. Um, And that always was really interesting to me, like, how they weren't phased by it, you know? Yeah, I honestly think, like, girls are so judgy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we, like, I was judged so hard, and... It's just like they didn't know what I was going through. And whereas like the guys, it was like maybe they did know what I was going through, you know, to an extent because of what I had told them. But then that's it. Mm -hmm. And they don't really think about it much Mm -hmm. after that. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, like that's what Meg told me that happening in her life. Want to go get Subway now? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I want to talk about, like, I want to be real direct here and, like, go back to the weight gain. And it's, like, what advice do you have for people? Because you and I both know that this is a big struggle for people. And it's, like, they're having these voices in their heart. They think that they're fat. They have body dysmorphia. And then, but they need to put on weight for their health. Like, how do you get past that? When you feel like you're you're fat, you feel like you're going to get fat, you're afraid to put on weight, but you you need to. Like, how do you get past that? Yeah. Okay, so I will go back to when I was underweight, feeling as though I was much larger than I was. One of the most powerful practices for me was referring to my eyes as Ed eyes. So I know if someone is not referring to like their eating disorder as Ed, this will not resonate with them. How, or even if you don't have an eating disorder, because we 
don't have to have eating disorders to look in the mirror and see ourselves in a very, very wrong way. Mm -hmm. So in a way that this can, you know, hit home for everyone, if you are fully aware of the fact that, yes, you are desperately in need of gaining weight for your health, right? If you know this, however, every single time you look into the mirror, you are not seeing yourself in a true way. You need to remember that like the lens you're looking at yourself through is not your own. Like there's something else that has put like this false lens in front of you. And for me, I would always refer to this as Ed eyes, you know, so some days I felt totally fine. I could, you know, finish all my meals without like batting an eye and be like, yep, you know, I need this food and I need to gain weight. But then we're going to have those off days where we look at ourselves and like want to throw in the towel and be like, no, I'm over this. I don't need to do any of this when that's not really true. And those were the days where I would literally talk to myself and say, okay, Meg, like these are like, you're looking at yourself through Ed eyes right now. You know, like your disorder wants you to see yourself this way. And so I'm hoping that resonates with people who haven't even had, you know, eating disorders, but like deal with not seeing themselves um, in a true light. Yeah. So just honestly, it all comes down to like speaking to yourself and you can see how I did that there. You know, I would Like, I knew that I wasn't seeing myself properly. So, like, the first step is really being aware of the fact that, like, okay, I am seeing myself look this way. However, I know this isn't true. And then that second step is speaking to yourself and be like, okay, you know, what is going on here? I'm seeing myself differently. And that's like the fact, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really powerful. And like, the truth of the matter is, this might be too bold for people, but I honestly have never met a woman who doesn't have some level of body dysmorphia. Um, And because what Meg's, Meg, what you're saying, like, that applies to someone who needs to put on weight, but also like, you know, you and I both see so many women who like maybe they maybe they don't need to put on weight. Like maybe they're at like a fine weight, but they're still just afraid to live life because they're always afraid to get that they're gonna get fat. Or maybe maybe they're at like a quote normal weight, but maybe they do need extra weight beyond what they think to maybe recover their period or balance with their hormones. And it's like really hard for people to accept that and to like move forward. And I feel like this this fear of weight like paralyzes us from so much and like completely messes up people's relationships with food because they're eating out of this fear oh yeah I mean like heck I even still have days where I'll catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror and be like whoa and I know that's false Mm -hmm. I know that's false but like you said we all deal with this Mm -hmm. we all deal with this but it's the fact of not acting on it right Mm -hmm. like yeah, I definitely have days where I don't feel like the sexiest woman on earth, right? But Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I'm not striving to be either. (laughs) But on those days, it's like, 
I don't act on it. I don't do anything. It's like, okay, like this is how I feel today. And that's okay because I know it's not true. Mm -hmm. And that's literally the conversation I have with myself. I'm not just saying that now. These are the words I say to myself. And I think that's really important to note because not enough people talk to themselves. (laughs) I agree. Do you feel like there was like a big point in your journey where like the self-love really set in? Um, I will never forget the day where like I realized that I had been loving myself for the past like two years. Um, so I kind of embarked on this self-love journey back in a night of um, February 2013, it would have been. And I was about to weigh another piece of spinach to go into my salad. Oh my God. I had recovered, like I said, from anorexia. And then I moved away and I basically developed this very intense fear of under eating. So I was so obsessed with following the meal plan that my dietitian had once given me. And then from there, I had never been like back then or orthorexia really wasn't being some like wasn't something that you were diagnosed with. Mm -hmm. But I definitely had it. I mean, to get to the point of weighing spinach, um, to make sure that I was eating, but just like exactly what I needed to eat, you know? It's so interesting you bring this up because I feel like I've never really talked about that either, but I definitely developed that too. Like I had this meal plan by my, by my dietitian and then I ha I clung to that and I was so afraid Mm. to eat any less or like, I felt like if I was full, I was like, I have to eat this amount or I felt like I was a bad person. Oh yeah. I think that's so, yeah. I'm so interesting how that happens. And now that is why I am a nutritionist that will literally never give any single client of mine a meal plan, no yeah. matter how much they beg me. I like, and I've had clients literally beg me for meal plans. And I said, like, we don't have to work to, together then because mm-hmm. I know the, like, like, the journey trying to release that hold on the meal plan. Um, so anyways, I, yeah, it was February, 2013. I was super, super, um, in the thick of kind of another eating disorder, I guess, undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I was just terrified of not eating from my meal plan, but again, still obviously terrified of overeating if I was eating my spinach or weighing my spinach. So anyways, standing over top of my food scale, like so frustrated with my life again. And um, again, I had a boyfriend at this time and I just broke down and started crying and I told him exactly what was going on. And he suggested we throw my food scale off the balcony because I lived on like the seventh floor of the apartment. So from that night on, like I seriously embarked on this journey of 
loving myself. I sat down with myself that night and asked myself exactly how I wanted to feel within my life. And the only two things that kept coming up for me were I want to be happy and I just want to be like healthy. And that meant like mentally healthy mainly. Um, So from that moment on, I literally every single decision I made was aligned with being happy and healthy. If my actions weren't supporting, you know, those two words, I changed what I was doing, right? So I was super obsessed with exercising every day. Like every morning I would like go and like skip rope, like jump rope and like do like, you know, that was like, Oh, it was such a messed up time. But, you know, that I clued into that. And I was like, is this actually making me happy? No, I dreaded those like five minutes or whatever. (laughs) But and then I asked myself, is this making me healthy? And like, I like, heaven forbid, knew that it was not making me healthy. And so I stopped doing that. And literally throughout my day, I would constantly ask myself those two words. And you know, eventually I didn't have to ask myself all the time, but that was in 2013. And then in 2014, almost, I mean, 2015, almost exactly two years later, because that was February of 2013. And then this was the end of April, 2015, I was engaged and my fiance left me and I was just sitting on my bed kind of like like I looked up to the sky and I said thank you God like I was so grateful and I mean there's so much story behind all of that yeah but I mean- in that <laughs> in that moment I you know it was weird to me that I wasn't all upset right but in that moment I like Seriously, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I am like so okay with who I am. And I love myself so much that like another human literally like walking out of my life, like doesn't even phase me because like I am so okay with me and I don't need like another human loving me in order for me to feel loved. And I really do think that's like what so many women face, you know, after that all happened, um, I received countless emails, texts, Facebook messages from ladies that were, you know, going through a breakup or that were also like left by their significant other. And they were all feeling so terrible about themselves and I couldn't help but notice that like none of this changed the way I felt about me and that was because I like deeply loved myself with every single cell within my body and that's when I knew that's really really powerful and (laughs) I think like Oh, okay. I want to dive more into what happened with that. Um, I like, did you know that that was coming? Um, it was like, I am way more intuitive than 
anyone would ever imagine kind of thing. Like I was just having a conversation with my friend earlier today and I literally knew the sentence she was going to say to me like before she actually said it. And it wasn't like a predictable sentence either. So I'm pretty intuitive. I knew there was um, definitely something up even though we had never had a conversation about anything or anything like that, um, I knew there was something wrong. And for about like, oh gosh, for a few months, I was getting all these like weird thoughts about me leaving him and that I should, you know, why don't you just like go see what life would be like if you went and like lived with your parents for a little bit, just like just to see. And I would have these thoughts, I would hear them and listen to them. But I also thought that they were like, twisted, you know, I was like, Whoa, where's that thought coming from? Like, why am I having that thought? And I really didn't give my, you know, I am intuitive in or like, meaning that like, I had these thoughts, but at that point in time in my life, I wasn't so intuitive that I knew that was like my soul talking to me, right? Like now when I get those thoughts, I'm like, whoa, where's this coming from? But, um, or I know my soul is speaking to me, but back then I just kind of was like hushing them aside. So I knew there was definitely something wrong. I was the one who brought up the conversation, you know, that evening I was like, Hey, (laughs) there's something going on. Um, what's going on? And I poked and poked and prodded and prodded until, um, I got my answer and that was it. But, like, what was wrong? Like, what did he say? He was just like, I'm um, leaving? Like, yeah, literally, um, within 45 minutes, um, he was gone. <laughs> and I was at home by myself. And, yeah, that's, that's the story. But, like, why? Um, I mean, I, like, we never had that conversation I so just out of nowhere like you don't even know why Mm -hmm. I mean I was extremely unhappy right and why were um, you unhappy it got to a point where we were just like roommates almost you know and putting up with each other Mm -hmm. and but then in the same breath like I don't know it was just it was kind of like that one of those relationships where you think that everything can change, you know, like you, like it's something you can work on and then um, it's really not. But I think we've all been in those relationships where you just tell yourself that, okay, like this is just like a rough patch and like we can move through this, you know, and to just kind of give you guys like a, idea of how twisted it was you know that day I had gone and like grabbed him lunch I was doing a bunch of errands for him and like he repeatedly told me that day how much he loved me and you know it was so yeah it was it was one of those up and down roller coaster situations so was it more like that like there wasn't some big thing that happened that like triggered it. Oh, it was just like no. it was just like all these little all the little things building up and just like unhappiness over time. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And have you talked to him since then? No. 
Oh my god. Yeah. Well, so he just <laughs> left and like what about all of his stuff? Um, it was basically stuck. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that kind of I mean, what would you do if you saw him? Um, I have no idea, but thankfully he doesn't live around here, so it just is really, isn't it weird how, like, a relationship can end kind of out of nowhere and then all of a sudden, even though it's, like, nothing specific happened, but there's, like, this unspoken, this is not okay, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I definitely did have to do some things to, like, get closure over the whole thing, even though I was so okay with myself. You know, him leaving me didn't make me feel any less then or less deserving of love. And the reason why I brought this all up is because you did ask about loving myself and my self-love journey. And this is really, really when I like the that night I was like, wow, like I actually learned how to love myself over these past two years. Like someone that, you know, told me at one point that they wanted to spend their life with me just up and left within 45 minutes and I'm still okay with myself, you know, and that was really eye opening to me. And that allowed me to know that I had something to share with the world. And so that's really when I started, um, like reflecting on my journey and all that I've done and kind of putting the pieces together so I could guide people through like a similar path, whether or not it was like a breakup, but just like learning how to love themselves. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but what kind of going back to what you said or asked Christina, um, I definitely had to do like some things to give me closure over the situation. I mean, he was like, granted things weren't great. Um, you know, and to this day, I still look at the whole situation as like one of the biggest blessings that has ever happened in my life. Um, the, the blessing being him leaving me. Um, it was like my best friend literally left and never told me why, you know, because we were like, that's, what we were, we were best friends. And, um, yeah, so I did have to do some things to get over like that situation of like kind of losing my best friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like not being in a relationship anymore. But what what kind of things did you do? Yeah. So one of the best things that I did was write a letter to him that I actually never sent to him, but it was just like really therapeutic for me. So, and I truly do like if someone listening right now, and I hope, you know, this is resonating with at least one person because I think this is, you know, a topic that not too many people talk about is like, you know, being in like this shitty position of like being in this relationship and then all of a sudden not, um, So I wrote a letter to him and it was just basically, you know, like the truth of how he made me feel. And, you know, I was at the end of the letter, like I said, 
I saw the whole situation as the best thing that could have ever happened. So it was almost like a thank you letter to him Mm -hmm. and just like letting him know like how terrible he made me feel over the past several months, especially. And um, then like just kind of thanking him for leaving at the end. And that was like, really really therapeutic and then the other thing is kind of twisted but not really um I think I came up with this one all by myself the other thing that I just shared when my friend suggested that I do that and it did really help me but then I personally came up with this one and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this but I find that when we are in relationships and they end, whether or not it was like mutual, we were dumped or we did the breaking up, our minds tend to go back to like all the happy memories, right? It's like, oh, but like now I won't get to do this with him or like, oh, I remember when he did this and like oh, he was really good at this and he always did this for me. And it's so easy to think about all the good stuff. And as much as I will preach dwelling on the good over the bad, I think this is like one time in your life I am ever going to give you like the permission slip to focus on all the bad. So I like got a journal and I like literally dedicated this journal to him and like, all the things I hated and it just like allowed me to realize how shitty like the whole situation was and really tap back into that state of gratitude for it all happening. I think that that is a very helpful practice and I did something similar (laughs) when I was having like doubts about stuff you know and I was like I need to write down all the reasons why we broke up why I was unhappy to remember. Um, I think that's human nature to always think that like the grass is always greener on the other side. Like whatever we don't have, we then we suddenly want like in all aspects of life. And so then when you lose a relationship, your mind naturally is like, well, I don't have this anymore. Why would I want it? And thinks about those things. But I think that that's a really good idea, honestly. And like, I, I, I mean, I think it was definitely the biggest blessing. I mean, you learned so much about yourself and like it led you eventually to Scotty. Like you wouldn't be yeah. with him, you know, now. Yeah. But do you ever wish that you had like ended the relationship sooner? Um, I don't, honestly. I think it would have been, su- well, it would have been such a different situation. Like I wouldn't have had that story and I truthfully don't think I would have ever realized how strong of a person I was and so I think that was really like and I am you know spiritual and I think that was really like God's way of showing me like okay like you're strong you know and maybe I needed to know it at that point in time in my life just how strong I was you know because I did have thoughts of leaving him right and I think one of the thoughts that like almost prevented me from doing that was like the false belief of me not being strong enough so in order to like go through something that is obviously even more challenging I think 
and then seeing how strong I was Mm -hmm. after it all happened, I think it all happened for a reason. And I'm really happy it happened the way it did, you know? I agree. I think I, I agree. I think everything happens for a reason. And it's such a powerful story. And I think like can give so many other people hope because even if your fiance didn't leave you, like I think everyone can relate to someone in their life, whether that be a boyfriend, a fiance, a friend, a parent, just leaving. Like I think everyone can relate to that. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And like, I think these are things that people aren't talking about enough because that can cause really deep hurt. Um, but at the end of it, that's why this whole like self love stuff, people just try and shrug off, but that's why it's so important because people ask, how do you get over a breakup? How do you do like, like if you've put this self love into place, like it's much easier. Like you've done the hard part, you know? Because you just got to, like, when you love yourself, like, that's all you need, really. Yeah, like, that is the freedom, Mm -hmm. right? Like, your diet's not the freedom. The relationship isn't the freedom. Like, the perfect body isn't the freedom. You loving yourself is what gives you that freedom for anything within your life, for sure. Absolutely. Freaking amazing. Okay, I could talk to you all day. I want you to come back on so we can talk about more things. But I want you to, like, leave people with a top tip of what they can, like, a really helpful thing for their self-love journey. (sighs) Okay, honestly, I work a lot with Mm -hmm. women, like many different women um, on this self-love journey. You know, so many women will email me and be like, hey, Meg, like, I really want you to guide me through this. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, I've created like these four building blocks. And it's not like I just like pulled these building blocks out of nowhere. I've literally like analyzed my own life and the lives of others that I have helped. And I've created kind of this flow, um, in order, like what we go through and it all starts with self-talk. And whenever I work with a new woman and we start with that building block, they are not doing that. So I can't stress enough how important it is to be talking to yourself. And I seriously want to stress even more that it's not like, looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, you look beautiful today. No, like it's like literally talking to yourself every waking moment of the day. And so if they want an actual, well, talking to yourself is like an actual practical tool, but if they want, you know, maybe a starting point, if they are not finding that easy, I would say start journaling start journaling, start getting in touch with that inner dialogue of yours. Like what she's saying, Mm -hmm. how is she feeling? Um, like what experiences are you going through? Honestly, this morning I was so wrapped up in my journal entry that I nearly missed my dog's like haircut and the groomer called me and she's like, Meg, are you coming today? But honestly, I still journal every single day. And that was part of my recovery. Am I still in recovery? Like I don't have an eating disorder anymore, but is journaling still going to be part of my life? Absolutely. Because it is, 
it helps me strengthen that connection with myself, my intuitive voice. Um, so those, I guess I gave you two. I want everyone to start journaling so they can like tap into that inner dialogue, but then also make it a practice to speak to yourself every waking moment of the day. And again, it's not looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, oh yeah, you look beautiful. Like, no, it's catching those nasty thoughts you say to yourself and being like, hey, like, where'd that come from? You know, you don't believe that or, you know, responding it to it in a compassionate way. I love that. And I'm all, I'm all over that. I'm really on the journaling train, as you know, and like, people think like I say that to every single one of my clients and they think it's like oh journaling whatever I'm like no this is serious like if you want to change your relationship with yourself you better get a journal and you better start (laughs) like because I think people just avoid their own thoughts and people are really out of touch with themselves like I think that's just kind of a symptom of modern culture we've gotten really out of touch with ourselves so I think it's a great way to kind of get back in tune with your own thoughts like mm-hmm. you said. So I love that. Um, thank Yay. you for sharing all of your wisdom. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, hun, thank you so much for having me. This was just such a blast. So if people want to connect with me, definitely check me out on Instagram because I am most active on Instagram. So you can follow me at Meg, the RHN. And then my website, I share recipes every day or every week. And that's MegTheRHN.com. I also have a podcast. And if you have not listened to the episode with Christina, I definitely (laughs) recommend it. It was one of my favorites and it is the unbreakable you podcast and then if you ever want to just chat you can always email me at megsrhn at gmail.com too yay thank you yeah everyone make sure you check out all of meg's things and you have a new really awesome program the friends with food Yeah, that one is fun. It's like a 21 day journey with me. Um, It's kind of like, you know, do it yourself type of program. So everything's emailed out to you every day for 21 days. And we just go on a little journey together healing your relationship with food. So it is like such a passion of mine to help people break free of food obsession. So if that sounds like something that you've been wanting to do, definitely you can go to megtherhn.com slash friends with food and just like read more about it too. Yes, definitely, definitely head over there. I highly recommend it. Thank you again so much. So good having you on and you have to come back. I would love that. Bye, sweetie. Bye. I just want to thank Meg again for coming on the show, for sharing so much of her wisdom and knowledge and experiences and being so open and vulnerable and honest and real. That's why I love her. Make sure that you give her some love, give her feedback, let her know what you thought of this episode. You can find her at MegTheRHN.com or on Instagram at MegTheRHN. And make sure you listen to her podcast, The Unbreakable You Podcast. If you liked this episode, I'm sure you will seriously love all of her episodes. So much more from her. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. 
and make sure you subscribe if you're not already. It's free to subscribe and that way you never miss out on a new episode. And I would love to have you in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. It's a party in there. I hope this podcast episode left you feeling like you are ready to love yourself, ditch any negative feelings, and really just be the best version of yourself because that's what this is all about. So make your decisions based on what's going to make you feel happy and healthy, like Meg said. That will be it for this episode. I will talk to you again next time. Bye.